0: All right. Hey, everyone. My name is Shoshi Weiss. I'm a park ranger at the Frederick Douglass National Historic Site, which is his historic home. It's here in D.C. in Anacostia, and if you have never been to visit us, I invite you to do so. Um, The site is free, open to the public seven days a week, and we do tours of his home every day. And we're actually celebrating his birthday, 192nd, on the 14th. Uh, Sunday after next and this year our theme is Frederick Douglass's connection to the women's rights movement because this is the 90th anniversary of women's suffrage which is one of Frederick Douglass's major causes so if you want more information about that event we actually have little cards here for you so we invite you to come join us on the 14th and tonight we're talking about this portrait right here which was completed in about 1844 so Frederick Douglass would have been about 26 years old at that time And he had escaped from slavery when he was about 20. He made his way up north. And so this period when the portrait is painted, it's that time when he's just beginning to gain his reputation as one of the most brilliant and eloquent abolitionist orators. And one year later, in 1845, he would publish his narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass. And that's still recognized today as one of the most powerful autobiographies in American history. He laid bare the horrors of slavery and he took America to task for perpetuating that institution. And if this portrait looks familiar to you, it was actually used as the basis for the frontispiece in the narrative. So that's what that illustration was based off. So the expression probably looks familiar. But this portrait itself is actually, it's more than just a portrait of a famous American. Frederick Douglass himself was very conscious of the power of portraiture, of its ability to communicate both good and evil. And part of that was a response to the way that African Americans were often portrayed in the visual media at that time. Oftentimes what Americans saw of African Americans in the newspaper and that sort of thing were political cartoons and other images. they basically exaggerated racist stereotypes. And Frederick Douglass himself said in 1849 that an African American could never have an impartial portrait at the hands of a white artist because he felt that white artists had internalized these stereotypes too much. So he himself, he actually preferred photographic portraits because he felt that it was harder to alter them. He could get a much better likeness. And another way that Americans would often see images of African Americans in the media was abolitionist propaganda from the abolitionist movement trying to end slavery. And one image that you've probably seen before, it's that seal with the kneeling slave and it says, am I not a man and a brother? That was basically adopted by the abolitionist movement and they put it on all their pamphlets, they put it on cups and plates, they sold it, trying to raise sentiment against slavery. And although Frederick Douglass was very involved in the abolitionist movement, that was his main cause, he did have a problem with that beseeching pose of the slave. If you take a look at this portrait, he's not beseeching anyone. He's not supplicating anyone. This is the image of a man who is taking America to task and challenging America to stand up to its democratic ideals. And this portrait is actually, in that way, it's very similar to another famous abolitionist image, which you might have seen, of Cinque from the Amistad. There was actually a movie made about the Amistad in the 90s. So that was um, a group of West Africans who were kidnapped and by they, they a Spanish slave, uh, slave ship, and they took over the ship. They were able to control the ship, but then the U.S. Navy intervened and brought them to Connecticut, and they were actually put on trial. And the leader of that group, his name was Cinque, um, an abolitionist named Robert Purvis commissioned a portrait of him. And this portrait of Cinque, he's wearing a toga, like a classical garment, and he's holding a staff. And he has the same sort of gaze, gazing off into the distance, and it caused a huge stir. Frederick Douglass actually has an image of Cinque hanging in his home. But one editorial about that um, image said that it would um, strike fear into the hearts of any slaveholder. So you can get a sense that a portrait like this might have been profoundly unsettling to a white American at that time. They were not used to seeing African Americans um, portrayed in this way. And Frederick Douglass actually articulated how he felt about portraiture um, here in DC in a speech in 1873. Because it wasn't just his his image that he was concerned with, he felt that images of inspiring people have the power to um, help you to remember what you're doing with your life. If you come to visit us at the historic site, you'll see that the walls of his home are covered in portraits of other activists, President Lincoln, all sorts of people that he admired, and you'll see their images all over the home. So the speech that he gave, it was actually because the Sumner School, here in D.C., um, it was named after the abolitionist, Charles Sumner, and it was opened as a school for African-American children. And the school board had originally set aside $500 to purchase a portrait of Charles Sumner, the abolitionist, and then a later school board went back and revoked that decision. And this caused a furor, and a meeting of 300 people convened on the issue. Frederick Douglass was there, and he was asked to speak. And he stood up and he told the audience that this portrait of Sumner wouldn't just be a pretty picture on the wall. He said that it would have the power to inspire these students. And that it was important that the community remember that and that they put up this picture because he said that it could be said that a picture is a very small thing, but that that would be a great mistake. He said that the portrait of Sumner would stand for all the grand and all commanding ideas that have given shape to our national identity. And I would say that you could say the same thing about this portrait of Frederick Douglass that we have hanging here. And it is quite fitting that we do have a portrait of Frederick Douglass hanging here in the National Portrait Gallery because his image here can continue to inspire and challenge us to live up to his vision of a more equal and inclusive America. And so that's my little speech. But if you have any questions, any discussion, that's what we're here for. How about the- the painter, it's an unidentified artist. I looked, I could, I mean, I don't know if you know more about it, but I don't know, I don't know, yeah. But I am assuming that Frederick Douglass would have approved of this particular image because it has the expression that he was always going for in his portraits. He got mad whenever he was depicted having too amiable or kindly of an expression because his goal He said it himself was to agitate, was to help people think about what they were doing and to challenge what was going on. So he didn't want to be looking too friendly in his pictures. He wanted to be looking challenging, determined. This particular picture?
1: I don't know.
0: I don't know.
1: Power concedes nothing without demand. Yes. It never did, and it never will. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. ah, yeah, and, yeah. and, and he talks about you can't have lightning without thunder, and that tells you he's not joking. Yeah. It's serious. Yeah.
2: Would you say he was a pretty? I mean, generally speaking, a pretty um, shrewd
1: or focused um, manager of his image? Yes. You, you mentioned he liked yes. a perfect smile.
0: Yes, he was. Um, that's one of the reasons why he liked photographs because he was able to pose himself to arrange his expression the way he wanted. And he did have certain images that of himself that he liked the best. One of the famous ones is of his face and profile when he's older, kind of looking off into the distance. So he actually had that image at the home. But he was very careful about that because he said himself that the picture is part of the message, like the frontispiece illustration in his narrative, that's part of the story. People need to know that they're not just reading any story about any escaped slave. It's a story about one man, it's a story about Frederick Douglass. Yeah.
1: Do you know why he chose to, um, to move to Anacostia when he did, or, or why there and then?
0: So he had moved. He was living for, after he escaped slavery, he was living in upstate New York for a long while. And then in 1872, his house in Rochester burned down, so he moved to the D.C. area, because he was involved in the new national era, a newspaper here in the city, and then he moved out to Anacostia about five years later in 1877. And part of that was just because he wanted a bigger home, but... um,
2: If you you go through his house, he doesn't have just portraits up in his house, he also has landscapes. We get this gorgeous view of the sea area from the house, so we think maybe he likes landscapes. Um, and also, as, as you're talking about here, he understands the power of portraiture because he understands the power of symbols, and he, he sees himself often as a symbol to change the country. And so, oh, and so that's um, he sees himself as a symbol to try and cha- help change the country, and so being the man who lives in the big house, on the big hill, overlooking the Capitol, overlooking the White House, this is probably not lost on him when he buys that house.
1: But he lived on, in a house
0: on A Street Yeah, yeah. Capital, yes. A Street, yeah. Capital. That's the first home he moved in, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And at that point, he's moving from a very urban area to yeah. an area that has housing in it, but is also more rural at that Especially point. Especially at that time. Yeah. And that
1: became, that, that was the Accurnot Museum. That said it that built a museum yeah. I think some of his things are still supposed to be there. I'm not sure. The, the A Street, street
0: house, yeah. Yeah, it's run by a private organization, yeah. but they do have some yeah, of his belongings there. Yeah, I've been to a bunch
1: yeah. The portrait that I'm most familiar with, mm-hmm. is taken at an older age, mm-hmm. a lot of white. Yes. There. Where is that? Where can you see the original?
0: There's several of him when he's older. We have two of them at this, this site. Yes, that one with the other women's rights activists.
2: It's his, uh, it's his second wife, Helen Pitts, is the lady. I'm sorry, if anyone would like to right. see some of these. There's, it's a picture, for the folks listening online, of, of Mr. Douglas sitting with, with two women. Uh, one is his second wife, Helen Pitts, who is quite the activist as well. She's a writer and a speaker and a thinker as well. Uh, and it's actually her sister as well. Um, it's the two of them sitting together. Or the three of them, I'm sorry. three of them.
1: And where was it taken? Is this- Picture taken at Cedar
2: Hill, or we don't or know. In the studio, we, don't know. we don't know. We don't know.
0: But that is the iconic image of Frederick Douglass with the hair. Yeah. The, the other
2: places you'll see a lot of Frederick Douglass um, documents and, and pieces. The vast majority of his papers have been digitized and are available online through the Library of Congress. They have a special Frederick Douglass collection online, and then also the uni- the Library at Howard University has a very large collection of his effects as well.
1: He also
0: advised yeah. President Lincoln, didn't Yes. It? He actually advised President Lincoln three times during the Civil War, and he advised every subsequent president after that, up until his death. He was considered, especially after the Civil War, he was considered unofficial leader of the African-American community but and Lincoln, a spokesperson, yeah, so they would invite him to speak, yeah.
1: Meeting him in person was, I think he only met him once in person, mm-hmm. though. did he come to the White House all day once or the President's house? Sure. three times, yeah. Three times?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lincoln was the one he met with the most, I'm pretty sure. How yeah. old was he when he died? He was.
2: He's approximately 77. 77 years old. We don't know the exact year that he's born, so it's hard to know the exact year that he died. Yeah. Uh, but his birthday is coming up on February 14th. He always celebrated his birthday on Valentine's Day. Are you doing any programming related yes, to his birthday? Yes, oh, yes yeah. we are. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It is the 90th anniversary of women, women's suffrage. A cause that was very dear to Mr. Douglas's heart. Do you want to hand this out? Uh, Sure. The uh, some of the other portraits that you would see in the house are of Elizabeth Cady Stanton and uh, Susan B. Anthony, two of his good friends. Those are in the house as well. He's very committed to the women's rights movement. So we'll be celebrating the women's rights movement. We're going to have a wonderful actor named Fred Morcell, who's going to come by and do a presentation called "Why I Became a Women's Rights Man," which is a compilation of a couple of Douglas's speeches. He's a very powerful speaker. We'll have a the most recent professor to write a book about the women's rights movement we'll be speaking Miss Sally McMillan. Uh, there'll be some music and some other things.
0: Children's activities.
2: Douglas was a great violinist so we always try and have a violin playing in there somewhere as well. Are any of his
0: children, did they did the idea of
1: children from his first wife? Yes.
2: Yes. Do you yes. have with his
1: second wife as well? All of these kids
2: are with his first wife. They're all with his first wife. And uh,
1: did, did she die and then he married again? Yes. 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 they yes. yes. yeah. yeah. There were five, five
2: children, kids. Yeah. Five kids. Four of them live to be adults. One of them dies when she's, she's very young. Does that uh, family
1: continue? They, they, do. Continue. they mm-hmm. do.
2: They do. Actually, they actually intermarry with the Booker T. Washington family, if you've heard of him. Uh, and so the Booker T. Washington family and the Douglas family uh, intermarry, and actually that branch of the family has now started the Douglas Family Foundation, which works very hard to combat modern-day slavery. So they're still quite active as a family, actually.
1: Yeah. You mentioned um, Frederick Douglass's stature as the um, sort of a, a, an official spokesman for the African American community. Mm-hmm. Were there um,
2: collaborations or conflicts with other leaders in the community? Were there other people who, who wanted that chair and had, you know, a line <laughs> on how to take it from? It?
0: I mean, it wasn't, a, he didn't have any official, I official position, but, I mean, in terms of conflict, do you I mean,
1: he's, he's, he's
2: perfectly willing to come into conflict with people who he likes. Um, he actually conflicts with the, the, women's, movement, right. the women's rights movement uh, during Reconstruction when the, the amendments are being passed to end slavery and extend the suffrage. Um, the women's rights movement thinks this is the moment for universal suffrage. Mr. Douglas is willing to take the step of universal male suffrage. He is an advocate for women's suffrage, for universal suffrage, but he thinks the only thing they're going to be able to get at that moment is is universal male suffrage. He thinks once you start to get this ball rolling, it's going to keep expanding over time. So he splits with the women's rights movement at that point. So he is going to, um, he is going to, he's willing to come into conflict with folks. He has a pretty unique position at that moment in history. he is going to be very well known because of the abolitionist movement because when the abolitionists find him, they're at a moment where they are looking to really try and become a national organization. And when they get Frederick Douglass, these guys are great at PR. And the thing that they want today, they are going to absolutely make sure that everybody in the country knows who Frederick Douglass is, sees Frederick Douglass, and gets into a situation in which Frederick Douglass is going to be on stage or under a tree in front of these people. Now, Frederick Douglass is the one who takes it from there and carries himself beyond and eventually starts pushing the abolitionist movement. But he's going to have a national renown that is pretty unlike anybody else's of that time. Yeah. He, really is, he really is very well known across the country. Is
1: he the first African? and it was a recorder of deeds to have yes. a position like that. Was he the
2: first, or were there others? No, uh, there we others. think the first African-American, African-American to be elected Langston. to a, a position is John Mercer Langston out in Ohio, He's actually a friend of Mr. Douglas. He's got a little carved portrait of, of John Mercer Langston in his house.
0: Yeah. One interesting, um, in terms of being challenged, um, near the end of his life, um, Ida Wells Barnett, Um, the activist um, most known for uh, against lynching. She was kind of a protege of Frederick Douglass's and she challenged him for not speaking out enough against lynching and he actually, um, that actually kind of goaded him into becoming more active against that. So he certainly, he did respond to that whenever people whenever people raise those kind of issues. Yeah.
2: He's very interested in working with the younger generation. Students from Howard are frequently coming over to the house. Uh, he works with Ida B. Wells, with Paul Lawrence Dunbar, with, with a lot of younger folks. Uh, Booker T. Washington comes by the house uh, several times. Some of our best descriptions of the grounds come from Booker T. Washington. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Yeah. He, Booker's right here?
2: Yes, the <laughs> portrait <laughs> gallery has done a great job of putting Mr. Just Washington just right down. around the corner. Yeah.
1: Later this month, um, the portrait um, gallery historian Jim Barber will give a, a face-to-face talk. Oh uh, wow! Great. Great. So maybe all will come back.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: How was his marriage to the white woman? To the white woman, in see.
0: <laughs> That's yeah. That was a huge controversy in D.C. I mean, neither of their families approved, and her family actually—they were staunch abolitionists—but they disowned her for marrying Frederick Douglass. Yes, yes, and. Yeah, no children. She no, and it was actually when word got out that Frederick Douglass had taken out a marriage license. It was kind of like a little paparazzi carriage chase through D.C. with reporters following him, trying to figure out who he was marrying. So it was it was huge news. It was incredibly controversial. Yeah. Since
1: you brought brought that up, I I had had remember hearing that he was a bit of a womanizer. So okay, you can put it (laughs) to (laughs) rest.
2: So, we, we, what we can say for sure is that Mr. Douglas—he's a big man. He's over six foot tall and over two hundred pounds in all likelihood. And, uh, ladies, he's a good-looking guy, right? You know. And he's powerful. He's also eloquent. He has moved a nation to end slavery. So this guy has got a way with words. So, we can say for sure that women like Frederick Douglass. Um, that, that there is no doubt that women like Frederick Douglass. Um, what he did in his spare time, that is something that there is debate over. There is uh, debate over that. Uh,
1: so. I don't know y'all really want to know. Nope. It's,
0: not our it's
2: much well, Thank you very much for coming. Thank you.